Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters. I am your host this week, Pastor Josh Rashir, coming to you from Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I am pleased to bring to you uh, our study of the Book of Concord. been ongoing for years now, and so uh, we continue on this week. Uh, we'll be in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, that is the defense of the teachings of the Augsburg Confession over and against the Roman Catholic Confutation. And so it'll be in Article 13 today. We have a couple guests today. Uh, one is uh, Pastor Mike Grevy, uh, who's pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Golden, Illinois. Uh, pastor Grevy, are you with us? Pastor Shear, I am here. Good to be with you. All right. Uh, you're kind of like a regular guest at this point, so that's that's good. Glad to have you. So, uh, And then we have Pastor Matt Moss, uh, senior pastor, St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church and School in Corcoran, uh, Minnesota. Uh, pastor Moss, are you with us? I am here. Good to be with you guys today. And you also are a repeat guest, so I think there's another team that has uh, just every week they're the same, but uh, yeah. So, all right, so we are in the Book of Concord, Concordia, the Reader's Edition, available from Concordia Publishing House. Usually uh, 30 bucks. sometimes they run sales for 20 bucks. You can get softcover copies for even less than that. If you don't have one and you're a Lutheran, buy one. And if you're interested in what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess, and you're maybe not a Lutheran, buy one. And uh, listen in, study it, read it. It's all a good thing to uh, to do. So let's get started. We're in this uh, Article 13 on the number and use of the sacraments. And so we're going to be covering two things this hour. One is the number of sacraments. How many are there? And then, of course, the other is the use. That is, uh, this is the more, more important thing. How are they to be used? And so uh, last week, Pastor Hendrickson left us off in, in paragraph 5. So we'll pick up in paragraph 6. Um with this, and so we'll read paragraph 6. Confirmation and extreme unction are rites received from the fathers that not even the church requires is necessary to salvation because they do not have God's command. Therefore, it is useful to distinguish these rites from the former, which have God's direct command and clear promise of grace. All right, Pastor Moss, what's happening here? Because we got the Roman Catholics insisting on seven sacraments, but do they, do they even bother defining what a sacrament is? Well, we should kind of uh, reorient ourselves within the, the article itself. So they just they start this paragraph with confirmation and, and extreme unction, or what would be called anointing of the sick. Uh, but it starts kind of at the beginning of the article, um, stating that uh, the adversaries, the Roman Catholic Church, do approve of some of the things that the Lutherans had to say about the sacraments, but they were uh, the Roman Catholic Church was insisting upon these seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, anointing of the sick, holy orders, or what uh, in the Lutheran Church we call the ordination of pastors, and uh, holy matrimony is the seventh. And so they were insisting on these seven, and the Lutherans are pointing out that some of these seven 
are not even commanded in Scripture. Uh, others are scriptural, and we, we certainly don't neglect things that Scripture uh, praises and institutes or even commands in some cases, uh, but that's not how we are defining uh, what a sacrament is. And so the, the, the Roman Catholic Catechism will give kind of a, a lengthy explanation of all seven of these sacraments, and um, I guess the best you could do for a definition is to kind of take the, the Latin word sacrament from its uh, literal translation of mystery and see that it, it's the, the word that occurs throughout Scripture for different things. Uh, an example would be in Ephesians 5, when Paul is talking about marriage and he says this is a mystery, well, that's kind of the basis of where they get it as a sacrament, because he uses the word mystery, and yet it's not at all the same thing as maybe baptism, uh, which has the command of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, the great promise in Mark 16. Uh, so these are, these are to be understood differently, uh, marriage versus baptism. And so the rest of this article will get into some of those things, here in this paragraph, it brings up confirmation and unction, unction again, anointing of the sick, as things that Scripture nowhere commands or requires, let alone making them necessary for salvation, uh, but are uh, rights inherited from church fathers. Yeah, and so, I mean, you have this in paragraph 3, you had the definition, you know, we call sacraments rights that have the command of God and to which the promise of grace has been added. And, and then, of course, you make this distinct, distinction here about what we've received from the Father. So it, it's kind of churchly, uh, no real command of God behind them, but we have them. Um, Pastor Grevy, if you just briefly just describe what this is talking about. Uh, what's this uh, confirmation? I think Lutherans would understand, you know, this, this idea of confirming them in the faith and so forth. But what about extreme unction? What's that? Well, extreme unction, I think uh, Pastor Moss uh, just touched on it briefly. Uh, it's kind of the uh, the anointing of the sick, um, as it were. And we would probably, um, uh, we, while we don't object to that, we might know this mostly by what is sometimes referred to as the commendation of the dying. So in other words, it's, uh, in a sense, preparatory for passing through death into the next life. And it simply is really a rite that includes the Word of God in prayer uh, that is uh, spoken over the person who is sick and appears uh, at the time that they are going to, uh, that they're going to be dying. And so it's a commendation of the dying, um, which is a, a good rite and salutary thing, uh, but again, uh, not rightly, not really rightly called a sacrament. Yeah, well, it's it's not necessary for salvation. I mean, last rites are, are are not. I mean, it's it's wonderful to be yes at the deathbed with with prayers and the word of God and so forth, uh, but but not necessary to salvation. As if somebody who passes away without it would would be condemned. Uh, and so we make this distinction. And of course, um, just Pastor Moss, if you just would just explain just a little bit further about. Therefore, it is useful to distinguish these rites from the former. Uh, this is a Lutheran thing, right? I mean, that, that we're looking at Scripture and what it says versus what maybe church tradition, church history has, right? Right. Uh, in in uh, the Lutheran way of doing doctrine or learning the faith, it is first and foremost uh, looking to Scripture as the sole 
rule, source, norm of, a, of uh, practice, uh, of which these sacraments are practices of the Church. Um, whereas for the Roman Catholic Church of Luther's day and continuing on to today, uh, Church tradition is equally as authoritative as Scripture. So in their system, having several of these things that did come from the Fathers, not in Scripture, is not a problem, because uh, the traditions of men are of equal authority to Holy Scripture. Uh, The Lutherans are not going to uh, adopt that method of instituting practices. Now Now with that, Pastor Moss, if tradition is on equal footing in Scripture, doesn't that actually mean then that tradition actually probably trumps Scripture? Because wouldn't that be then, you know, the tradition of this is how this is interpreted, so therefore this is what Scripture says because tradition says it says this, right? Right. Usually in practice it, it goes beyond simply having them on equal playing fields. One one gets more play than the other. Right. Okay. One second, just adjusting some technical things here one moment. Hopefully that's picking up a little bit better for you down there at KFUO. All right, so let's move on to paragraph 7. Um we're going to move into the to the ministry of the word that is ordination as pastor moss talked about it i will read paragraph 7 through 13 here the adversaries understand priesthood not about the ministry of the word and giving out the sacraments to others but is referring to sacrifice this is as though there should be a priesthood like the levitical one to sacrifice for the people and merit the forgiveness of sins for others in the new testament We teach that the sacrifice of Christ dying on the cross has been enough for the sins of the whole world. There is no need for other sacrifices, as though Christ's sacrifice were not enough for our sins. So people are justified not because of any other sacrifices, but because of this one sacrifice of Christ, if they believe that they have been redeemed by this sacrifice. So they are called priests, not in order to make any sacrifices for the people as in the law, that by these they may merit the forgiveness of sins for the people. Rather, they are called to teach the gospel and administer the sacraments to the people. Nor do we have another priesthood like the Levitical, as the epistle to the Hebrews teaches well enough. But if ordination is understood as carrying out the ministry of the word, we are willing to call ordination a sacrament. For the ministry of the word has God's command and has glorious promises. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Likewise, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. If ordination is understood in this way, neither will we refuse to call the laying on of hands a sacrament. For the church has the command to appoint ministers, which should be most pleasing to us, because we know that God approves this ministry and is present in the ministry, that God will preach and work through men and those who have been chosen by men. It is helpful, so far as can be done, to honor the ministry of the word with every kind of praise against fanatical people. These fanatics imagine that the Holy Spirit is given not through the word, but through certain preparations of their own. For example, they imagine he is given if they sit unoccupied and silent in far-off places, waiting for illumination, as the enthusiasts formerly taught and the Anabaptists now teach. All right, so that's a good chunk of chunk of this here. All right, uh, Pastor Grevy, when we get into this, obviously holy orders, as Pastor Moss talked about, or ordination here, as we're going to talk about, um, 
what's this difference that they're talking about versus the, the Lutheran understanding that is the ministry of the word and the giving out of the sacraments versus the sacrificial language that they're talking about? Can you explain that a little better? The ministry of the, of the word uh, and the sacraments uh, is that ministry which, which gives uh, the things that do forgive sins. They are the means of grace. They are the gospel and the sacraments. So those are the things that are given to people which are really the fruit of the one-time sacrifice of Christ, the all-atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world, which Christ accomplished when he died on the cross. Uh, that's the atonement uh, of the world there uh, on the cross outside of Jerusalem. So the, the Levitical priesthood uh, in the Old Testament, uh, while it was a necessary uh, priesthood, God did institute it, and he did institute it um, for uh, the forgiveness of sins, uh, which the priests were performing. They were performing sacrifices that were commanded by God, at least when they were when they were performing the sacrifices that God commanded, they were doing pleasing sacrifices that his word commanded. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, that's different. Uh, Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament sacrifices. He has brought them to their, to their fulfillment and, and to their completion so that his sacrifice now is the sacrifice. And so the fruits of, fruit of that sacrifice uh, is the ministry of the Word and the sacraments, uh, which uh, pastors are called and ordained um, by Christ through the Church uh, to administer to the people for the forgiveness of their sins. So sins are forgiven uh, through uh, the ministry of the Word and the things that are given by the ministry of the Word in the preaching, uh, in baptism, in absolution, in the body and blood of Jesus. Uh, those are the things uh, through which uh, God's means of grace come to people as they are ministered to them uh, by the New Testament ministers of Christ. And these Excellent. things are for, for our salvation. These things are for our forgiveness of sins and therefore for our salvation, and they are received by faith. Excellent. And, and in, here we see that we're trying to already move towards, I mean, the end of this article is going to be about the use of the sacraments, and so here even in the discussion of the ministry, we're seeing a beginning of the discussion of the use of the sacraments and what they're there for, um, what, what's the purpose of these things. Uh, but also just to kind of just note again as you listen how a, dis a difference in justification, that is a difference in your belief about how man is saved, will be reflected in all kinds of other theology, including here uh, the sacraments, but also then in the ministry the office of the ministry. Uh, we notice the difference here, the distinction. Now, Pastor Moss, it, it, I think the Roman Catholic Church has shifted a little bit on this, have, hasn't it, over the years, that there may be less of a focus? Uh, I know it's dogmatically they still have the sacrifice of the Mass and the priests do the sacrificing and so forth, but but I think in practical words, how they put them most forward is kind of a, a bit different, and it kind of matches up with a lot of uh, Protestant, even Lutherans, uh, who, who kind of have tried to change some of this pastoral ministry, what it is. Can you give a little comment about this? Sure. This is one of the beautiful aspects of uh, our Lutheran confessions confessing the biblical truth, which does not change, that even when the errors they are rejecting, such as the, the Roman Catholic understanding of the priesthood related to Levitical sacrifice, uh, even as they change that, what the Lutherans confess about what this priesthood ought to be, according to the Word of God, that stays the same. And that's what Pastor Grevy just talked about and laid out for you. 
that it is about the ministry of the Word and the sacraments. In Rome, uh, you're right, the dogmatic look at the priesthood would still have the sacrifice of the Mass and, and be viewed as a sacrificial office, and they perform that ritual. Uh, and yet they also have a, a, a good emphasis in their pastoral ministry on, well, personal relationship uh, between priest and people. And I think that there would have been a time decades or centuries ago where that wasn't necessarily emphasized as much as it is today. Uh, and you'll see that in much of Protestantism, too, where you could look at the uh, various Protestant churches, and sadly, sometimes even in our own Lutheran church body, and if you were to ask for their uh, definition of what the priesthood or the pastoral ministry is, you wouldn't get a confession like these paragraphs, 7 to 13, that's all about the Word and the sacraments. You get things like, you know, personal life coach, um, a guide to moral living, a, uh, a best friend, a role model, um, and yet none of those things are what this article and these paragraphs are talking about and the beauty of the, the Word and the sacrament brought to you from outside yourself, because uh, ultimately your people can have tons of friends and lots of brothers in Christ, uh, but you're their pastor, and you're there to bring them God's Word and the sacraments, and, and that's something that uh, we just don't trade in. Yeah. Exactly. What's what's interesting, of course, about this is that uh, uh, you know the apology is written by uh, Philip Melanchthon, who was who was actually not a pastor, and yet here he's biblically confessing the truth of what the pastoral office is about. Uh, pastor Grevy, uh, I know you you wanted to mention something about uh, uh, Doctor Melanchthon, so I'd give you an opportunity to do that right now. Yeah, I was just going to point out uh, Melanchthon's very important distinction here when he does say that we are willing to call ordination a sacrament. Some people might be thinking, well, what's he doing now? He just talked about uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper and even absolution as sacraments, uh, and those being uh, the three, or as Luther puts it, uh, the two being baptism and the Lord's Supper and absolution flowing out of baptism. So what's he doing now with ordination when he speaks of it as a sacrament? Well, what he's doing is he is saying that because of what is being given to people through the ministry of the Word, because of what is being conferred upon um, God's people through that ministry, namely the sacraments uh, and the preaching of the gospel, that in that sense we have no qualms about calling ordination a sacrament. But as far as uh, the ordination itself, giving... Uh, having the promise of grace attached to it when a man is ordained into the office, that's not what Melanchthon is saying here. Uh, he is talking about uh, the, the fact that um, through, because men are called into the office of the ministry and ordained into it, these are the things they are to give people, as Pastor Moss was just mentioning. They are to give people the gospel and the sacraments, and these are the things that bring the forgiveness of sins and, and salvation. Exactly. 
Uh, it is, you know, it's summertime, which means that this is the time of year when churches are receiving their new pastors, maybe from the seminary. And so there's lots of opportunities to go and, and maybe be a part and see a, a witness and ordination service. And I'd, I'd encourage all the all the listeners out there to do this because you want to talk about the, the command of God and then the glorious promises of God, uh, the the right of ordination or even the right of installation for that matter. Uh, they relay all of these great words of God of of promise and command about the office of the ministry. And so if you go to one, uh, just just listen, and you'll have all these lessons and all these passages from Scripture read. It will be. Uh, it will be an, an awesome thing to go partake in and, and be a part of. So if you, if you know of one in your neighborhood, in your community, in neighboring communities, go and, go and be a part and enjoy the celebration as God is fulfilling his words to send laborers into the harvest uh, by providing these, uh, these men of God to uh, fulfill this, this office of ministry and, uh, yeah, to teach and preach and so forth. Um, yeah, so then we get to this paragraph 12. The church has the command to appoint ministers. Um, Pastor Pastor Moss, would you explain this? How this works? What is this looking like? If if it's understood in this way, neither we refuse to call laying on of hands a sacrament. Uh, laying on of hands usually associated with ordination, correct? Yes, that is the right where it would take place. And uh, you know where where we're at in this article again is this long string of pointing out how Rome is so uptight about the number of sacraments, but they're not exactly focusing on. The, what the purpose of them is, and what good they're bringing to the church, and let alone where where uh, God Himself institutes it in God's Word. So here it's pointing out that even though something like a call process, as you mentioned, many of our congregations are receiving their a pastor straight out of seminary, and they might not have seen the process because it took place with the Council of Presidents and the placement directors. Or maybe they went through a call process and called a candidate from the field. Uh, in either situation, it looks like a very human-oriented, human-driven process um, that we come about appointing ministers through. Um, and yet here, Melanchthon's pointing out that even though their process in their day would have been a little different than our process, the appointment of ministers itself is commanded in God's Word, and we know that it is pleasing to God, that, uh, as it says here, God approves this ministry, and that He Himself is present, that God is the one preaching and working through these men who have been chosen by men. Uh, and it, it, that does look ahead uh, to the next article, Apology 14. It actually looks back to the Augsburg Confession, Article 14, originally given, uh, that says what we mean by that. When we're talking about uh, God preaching and speaking through men who have been chosen by other men, uh, it doesn't mean kind of haphazardly, like uh, today uh, a group of guys gets together and says, mm, okay, this time Mike's going to preach. Uh, we're putting this in the context of the Augsburg Confession with Article 14, which which talks about the, the rite vocatus, the rightly ordered call, uh, which would include their training in the Word, their examination in the Word, their call and ordination, uh, those four parts together. Uh, because, again, as we've said throughout these paragraphs, this is the ministry of the Word. So they have to be trained in the Word, examined in it, called according to it, and then ordained or placed into that office. Uh, so hopefully that 
makes clear what we are talking about, that even though men are doing the choosing, it's all centered around God's Word, and that's where the men who are called to serve in that office are serving. Exactly, and that's, that's a wonderful reminder to those who are pastors, uh, that our confidence is, is not necessarily in our abilities or in the congregations we serve, but our confidence is in the God who approves this ministry and is in present in this ministry, that God will preach and work through men who've been chosen by men. Uh, so it gives us confidence as pastors, but also that can give you confidence as a, as a hearer in God's church to hear God's word, uh, even if, you know, your preacher isn't your, your desired hitting all of your buttons as far as, you know, what you'd really want, but to realize that, no, this is the man God has put in this place, that he approves this ministry and he's present in this ministry through the preaching and also through that working through the word. And so, uh, lastly, in this paragraph, you have paragraph 13, which again emphasizes this emphasis we as Lutherans have on the word of God, that, that the spirit comes through the word. And then outside of that, it's not the Spirit. And that's over and against these enthusiasts or Anabaptists, and we'll take that up after the break. Uh, so you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. And uh, we're going through Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 13, on the number and use of the sacraments. We'll be right back after a short break. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Every day, our Lutheran schools reach out to children and families with the love of Jesus. Our schools are a rich and vital component of the church, and in fact, they are the single greatest ministry we share that can shape the future growth and expansion of the Synod. And so whether it's a customized loan to fit your school's particular needs or help living out your ministry's God-given purpose, we want to help your ministry flourish and grow. So visit us at lcef.org to learn more. This week on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we'll learn how to have a deeper understanding while reading the book of Genesis with the Reverend Dr. Kevin Golden, and we'll meet the new provost of Concordia Seminary St. Louis. Professor Lane of Concordia University, Wisconsin, gives us a brief history of the Augsburg Confession. Dr. Thompson of Concordia Seminary St. Louis addresses the royal priesthood, and we talk about anxiety and shame in the church with Dr. John Eckridge. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Agnus Day Liturgical Arts glorifies God in so many ways you could look at their website for days. You get art for show and sale, artistic expertise you'll hail. That's Agnus Day Liturgical Arts. Pastors, teachers, and preachers alike will find it their extreme delight. That's Agnus Day Liturgical Arts. Oil paintings and illustrations galore. See what they've got you'll want even more. So get more at their website. See what's in store. That's AgnusDayArts.com. Kelly Schumacher's AgnusDayArts.com. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends. World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts. All Sarah Gulseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. The Augsburg Confession of 1530 defined the theological beliefs of Martin Luther, becoming one of the most important documents of the Protestant Reformation. And 300 years later, on the anniversary of that historic document, 
Felix Mendelssohn celebrated this Reformation milestone in what became known as Mendelssohn's Fifth Symphony. A symphony inspired by Martin Luther's famed Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The powerful symphonic presentation, including a finale with the entire orchestra, underscores the unmistakable mighty of Luther's hymn. Mendelssohn's Fifth Symphony wasn't published until 1868, years after his death. Although the symphony is not played often today, it shows the enduring legacy of Martin Luther's iconic hymn based on Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, coming to you uh, from Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'm joined with two guests today, Pastor Mike Grevy, Pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran in Golden, Illinois, and Pastor Matt Moss, Senior Pastor of St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church and School in Corcoran, Minnesota, as well. So we are finishing uh, our discussion here of this section of Augsburg, or the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 13. We were just talking about ordination, so paragraphs... Uh, 7 through 13 or so in there. The last paragraph we touched just briefly as, we, as we're moving into the break, um, this idea that, that this is uh, to honest, honor the ministry of the word with every kind of praise against fanatical people. So, so the idea that there's a pastoral office, that God has commanded this, that God uh, approves of this and is present through this office of the ministry, that is the ministry of the word and the, and the giving out of the sacraments to others. And, of course, what militates against that, of course, is this thing called, we call it enthusiasm, or here we see fanatics, who imagine that the Holy Spirit is given not through the word. And so this, this is the danger that Christianity has, uh, that to depart from God's word. So that includes departing from the God's word, which commands the office of the ministry and how uh, departing from these things militates against the office of the ministry, the ministry of the word that comes through that office, and then, of course, it, it, militates, against, uh, uh, it militates against God himself. Uh, this, is, this is the danger of this. And so they go after here these fanatics uh, that uh, they sit un, in, in unoccupied and silent in far-off places waiting for illumination. Uh, Anabaptists were a part of this. Uh, kind of the Quakers, the, the historic Quakerism, where you'd gather in a building and wait until uh, somebody felt the Spirit actually move, this kind of thought. But elsewhere in the Confessions, Luther especially does this in the small cult articles, that, uh, that if anyone says that it's the Holy Spirit and it's outside of the Word and sacraments, it's not the Holy Spirit. And in fact, that's the only way we know it is the Holy Spirit, is if it's attached to the Word and sacraments, which then, of course, are the things of the office of the ministry, uh, that these, this is what the office of ministry is there for. That's why God commanded it to be in his church. And so it's a great thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a blessed thing. It should be celebrated. Um, uh, not, not for the men that occupy it, although you certainly can show your, your thanks and so forth to your pastors. It's a good thing. Uh, but more so to realize that this is something of God, and this is the way God has ordered his church. And uh, the office of the ministry is that of service, that is service of the word and the sacraments. Uh, to God's people, that God has done this for you, and it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to people. All right, so we are in, uh, let's uh, let's look at the next section, marriage, uh, paragraphs 14 and 15. 
Marriage was not first instituted in the New Testament, but in the beginning, immediately after the creation of the human race. Furthermore, it has God's command. It, all, it has also promises, not truly having to do with the New Testament, but rather to do with bodily life. Therefore, if anyone wishes to call it a sacrament, he or, should, should, he or she should still distinguish it from the preceding ones. They are truly signs of the New Testament and testimonies of grace and the forgiveness of sins. But if marriage has the name sacrament because it has God's command, other states or offices also which have God's command may be called sacraments, as, for example, the government. All right, so Pastor Moss, we've been kind of talking about this, how, how their definition of sacrament has kind of varied, and you even hinted that marriage might come from the, the, the use of Ephesians 5, the mystery that, that Christ in this church is a mystery, that, that marriage is a symbol of that or a foreshadowing of it and so forth. Uh, give some commentary on their discussion here of marriage, please. Sure. Uh, out of Ephesians 5, uh, verse 32 is where Paul wraps up kind of 10 or 12 verses about uh, wives submit to your husbands, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And at the end of this, after, after quoting Genesis 2 and the creation of marriage, uh, Paul says, this mystery, Latin is sacramentum, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, so this is where the, the two paragraphs here are referring to marriage as signs of a New Testament uh, testimony of grace and the forgiveness of sins. It's not saying that marriage itself confers forgiveness, that by the act of a husband vowing to uh, marry his wife, he somehow gains forgiveness, not at all. Uh, but the marriage itself is a sign or a testimony, something that shadows, as you said, or points to what Christ actually does, the real gospel. Uh, so in that way, marriage does the duty of pointing to grace it does not confer it, which is what we would say, that baptism, the Lord's Supper, and absolution, they actually deliver the very forgiveness. They're not just shadows or pointing to it. They deliver it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's talking here, you know, marriage is of God. It's commanded. It's created an institution of God and so forth. So uh, they also say that of government, that, you know, government also, because, of course, government comes from the parental office, which is of marriage. And so uh, all these get related and so forth. Pastor Grevy, do you want to add anything to this discussion we've had just a little bit about marriage? I don't think so. I think Pastor Moss uh, touched on it pretty well. I mean, uh, it, um, you know, it certainly uh, behooves a husband and a wife to live, in the, to live together in the grace of the forgiveness of sins uh, that they have in their baptisms and received from that. But, um, yeah, what he said is spot on. It doesn't uh, marriage itself doesn't confer grace. So. Yeah, which is why traditionally Lutherans have not counted it amongst the sacraments if we're going to start counting. All right, let's look on to paragraph 16 and 17 here. Finally, if among the sacraments everything should be numbered that has God's command and to which promises have been added, why do we not add prayer, which has both God's command and very many promises? If numbered among the sacraments, although in a more prominent place, it would encourage people to pray. Alms could also be counted here, and likewise troubles. These are themselves signs to which God has added promises. But let us leave out these things, for no level-headed person will labor greatly about the number or the term, if only those things are still kept that have God's command and promises. All right, so Pastor Moss here, that that. that 
the closing thing. Let's leave out these things. No level-headed person will labor greatly about the number of the term. What what are the Lutherans doing here with the, with the Roman Catholics? Well, I think they're uh, they're kind of I guess it would be called uh, reducing it to the absurd, or in this case, inflating it to the absurd. So you want to make it seven and uh, have as many different things that are ill-defined as possible with this broad and varying definition. Why not add uh, sacraments eight, nine, and ten? the sacrament of prayer, the sacrament of alms, the sacrament of troubles or suffering. Uh, so they're kind of showing that to get, to get uh, the Roman Catholic shorts in a knot over keeping to the number of seven, uh, if you're going to define it arbitrarily, you're going to be left with just uh, silliness, really. That yeah, Now so these things, which are also biblically commanded, are neglected. That people neglect their prayers. People neglect... Uh, the giving of alms, and people take a detrimental view of suffering uh, because they're not listed amongst the seven special sacraments. Yeah, so this is like a rhetorical jab at, at the Roman Catholics for, for not really... If they're going to just go with whatever God's commanded, then their their list is a bit short. Oh, and it's not even subtle. I mean, it, it hits right there in the last sentence. No level-headed person will labor greatly about the number of the term. Well, that's yeah. exactly what the confutation was doing, was laboring about the exact number of the sacraments. So it casts the whole opposition into the light of being uh, outside the realm of level-headed. Yeah. One of the neat things about uh, the Lutheran confessions is they never shy away from the idea of the Holy Cross, or that is here they call it troubles. Um just a beautiful way in which Lutherans approach the world and our daily lives that, that we'll have these struggles and that they're actually commanded by God, that, that these kind of things are uh, commands from God, but they're, they're going to happen. But then we also have promises of, of, of course, Christ's help and aid in these times of trouble and all these other things that can, can happen through that. So, I mean, we might think of prayer real easily, uh, alms maybe not as much as maybe just thinking of offerings, uh, but, but the idea that troubles... Are are a good thing, commanded by God, and have promises attached to them. As always, a good reminder for people to hear as we struggle, and have troubles in our day-to-day -day lives, uh, especially in a world that that just loves its comfort and its ease, and and everything should be, you know, just the way I want it to go. And if not, then something something's drastically wrong, and I need to do something dramatic to fix it. So that's a, a good reminder, as always. All right, so we have covered the number of sacraments, all right? So you noticed here that Lutherans are not really stressing about the number of sacraments. We want to define it properly, and then we want to talk about how, of course, how God's Word relates to these things, and then, of course, how maybe there might be churchly traditions behind them, which are okay, but not anywhere close to what God's Word says, and then how these things are. The important thing is, of course, what they're doing, what, what they're for, how they confer God's grace and his forgiveness to us, how they deliver the goods, so to speak. So now we're going to get into this last half of the article, which talks about the use of the sacraments. So it's not only the number, but now how do we use them? What's the proper Christian use of these things called sacraments? So let's look at paragraphs 18 through 22. I'll read those quickly here, and we can have a discussion about them. It is more important to understand how the sacraments are to be used. Here we condemn the whole crowd of scholastic doctors who teach that the sacraments give grace by the outward act, without a good frame of mind on the part of the one using them, provided he does not place a hindrance in the way. This is absolutely a Jewish opinion, to hold that we are justified by a ceremony, without a good tendency of the heart that is without faith. 
Yet this ungodly and deadly opinion is taught with great authority throughout the entire realm of the Pope. Paul contradicts this and denies that Abraham was justified by circumcision. He asserts that circumcision was an illustration presented for exercising faith. So we teach that in the use of the sacraments, faith should be added. Faith should believe these promises and receive the promised things offered in the sacrament. The reason is plain and thoroughly grounded. The promise is useless unless it is received by faith. The sacraments are the signs of the promises. Therefore, faith should be added in the use of the sacraments. If anyone uses the Lord's Supper, he should use it by faith. This is a sacrament of the New Testament, as Christ clearly says. For this very reason, he should be confident that the free forgiveness of sins promised in the New Testament is offered. Let him receive this by faith. Let him comfort his alarmed conscience and know that these testimonies are not false. They are as sure as though, and still surer then, if God by a new miracle would declare from heaven that it was his will to grant forgiveness. What advantage would these miracles and promises be to an unbeliever? Here we speak of special faith that believes the present promise that the forgiveness of sins is offered. This use of the sacrament consoles godly and alarmed minds. We are not speaking of a faith that only in general believes that God exists. All right, so here you have the proper use of the sacraments and how it is more important than the arguing over the number of the sacraments. Pastor Grevy, it goes right away into condemning the whole crowd of scholastic doctors. Uh, can you explain this idea that the sacraments give grace by outward act? It's a false idea, but just so that people understand what they're actually condemning. Yeah, that Latin phrase there, uh, ex opera operato, uh, means by the mere doing uh, of the thing. So in other words, um, uh, one would be, under ex opera operato, would be meriting the forgiveness of sins simply by the carrying out of the ceremony or the rite. So um, just um, uh, carrying out the Mass or uh, carrying out baptism or just the mere doing of the rite uh, gives the gives the forgiveness, gives the grace itself, without uh, any thought or any um, uh, giving, without any thought to faith, how they are received, uh, the benefit. So the benefit comes through faith. Uh, this is why, uh, for example, in uh, in the Catechism, Luther makes it very clear uh, that. The, one of the benefits of baptism is um, not only rescue from death and the devil and not only the forgiveness of sins, but the promise of eternal life to all who believe the words and promises of God. Uh, so it's faith, uh, faith that receives the benefits of the sacraments. That's where the grace is given. So uh, the sacraments are, of course, still valid in and of themselves, but uh, if they're going to benefit us, they are going to benefit us uh, by by faith. They are going to be received by faith, and that's what um, the the apology goes into into there when it speaks of uh, Abraham's justification. Um, that um, the circumcision of Abraham was an illustration presented for exercising faith, and it's the same way with the use of the sacraments. Faith must be added. Uh, faith needs to believe uh, that these promi- these promises 
and to receive uh, these promises that are given through the sacraments. That's where the certainty and the comfort and the peace come from, and that's how we can point to and say that we know that we've received the forgiveness of sins, and that's where the comfort is of, of our conscience and our hearts and minds. Yeah, and if I could exactly. just jump in there, it's uh, yeah, it's such a it's such a great comfort and uh, confidence that near the end there, uh, he says they are as sure as though and still sure than if God, by a new miracle, would declare from heaven that it was His will to grant forgiveness. Yeah, uh, my goodness, you know that we should look on baptism, the Lord's Supper, and and absolution, uh, faithfully trusting with the certainty that we just saw the Red Sea part or some other such miracle from heaven uh, with a word that declared I was forgiven. You know, that's, that's the kind of certainty that the use, the proper use of the sacraments by faith grants to the poor Christian conscience. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing how much, you know, the flesh always wants something more special and so forth, but yet here it's, it's exactly that. It's saying, no, you, you already have something way more special than that. You have, you have baptism, you have uh, the words of Christ and the Lord's Supper, and and you have the words of forgiveness that commanded by Christ Himself to be to be valid and true in heaven, as, even as you hear them on earth. Um, Pastor Moss, I did want to ask you a real quick question here. When he says this is absolutely a Jewish opinion to hold that we are justified by a ceremony, now he's he's speaking specifically there of the abuses that happen, and, and of course we see this in, in Jesus as he conflict, you know, as he has conflict with the Pharisees and so forth that they had taken. Uh, God's word of the Old Testament, which did teach a salvation, a justification by faith, as indeed we point out there with Abraham, but they had turned it into a salvation of works and, and specific works of like you know observing sacrifices and so forth. Correct? Is that is that what he's going after here? Right, and I, I would take because he follows it with uh, Paul from Romans about circumcision that it's probably that in particular that he's holding to, which we see throughout the Pauline epistles was a, a huge hang-up for the church. In the in the first century, uh, with not just Jews but the Judaizing Christians in Acts 15, who uh, held that it was necessary to perform the function of a circumcision uh, before somebody could be a true Christian. Uh, so it's it's a Jewish opinion, but one that infects the church uh, from age to age as well. So uh, thus, kind of necessitating the good confession of salvation by grace through faith, this justification apart from works that Paul preached and that the Reformation heralded and that is still needed in the Church today. Excellent. That's very good. Um, what, is it, what does it mean here when it says the sacraments are signs of the promises? We see that different times in the confessions. Pastor Moss, you want, you want to comment a little bit about how these sacraments are the signs of the promises? Right, so the the promise, in the case of, let's take the Lord's Supper, the, the promise is that his body and blood is under the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins. Um, I obviously don't see his blood. Uh, I hear his word, I read it on the page, since I'm the one uh, consecrating the elements. But the sacraments are in this way a sign or a, a pointing to the reality uh, that Christ's word is attached to that thing, the bread, the wine, the water. Exactly. Wonderful. Uh, we have a listener who's called in and asked a question. Uh, so, Cheryl, if you would. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. 
Uh, my question concerns the use of the sacraments, and uh, in conjunction with, I heard of something called the Great Banquet. Um, it was being offered by a Presbyterian church, and they had a, a nightly communion service. And in the the small in the catechism, the explanation for the catechism, it talks about the close or closed communion. And does that apply to that sort of thing? So, okay, thank you, Cheryl. So the question is, is that there's a local Presbyterian church who has a, what they call a great banquet, but it's like a, a nightly celebration of the Lord's Supper, and then a uh, question about whether or not closed communion applies to that. And, of course, closed communion is, is what the Scriptures say about every celebration of the Lord's Supper, uh, that this is for those who have been baptized and catechized and examined and, and, and are part of that, that congregation and so forth, uh, that this is a tool of pastoral care. So it, it really would apply, absolutely, that uh, being that we're, we're Lutherans and we believe things about the sacrament of the altar, that Presbyterians do not uh, believe, that we do not have that required uh, unity of, of the faith to have that common union communion uh, together um, and uh, so yeah we would we would want to refrain from such a thing because uh, that's that's a way of us to actually point out that there are some distinctions and differences in the hope that that the Presbyterians would actually heed Christ's word about the sacrament of the altar especially uh, but then also probably get into conversation about some other differences that Lutherans and Presbyterians would have on that as well. Uh, Pastor Grevy, did you hear the question, and do you have anything else to add? Yes, I did hear the question. Um, uh, one one more thing that I would add, I guess, would be that um, it is it is important to remember that when Jesus teaches what he does on the Lord's Supper, uh, that the bread is his body and that the wine is his blood, uh, he is establishing there, there is really the establishment of closed communion right there, because uh, this is pertinent to, to what we've been discussing here. So the question is timely that Cheryl asks, and that is, uh, what is the proper use of the sacrament? Well, when you talk about the Lord's Supper, the proper use of it is to believe Christ's word, that the bread is his body, that the wine is his blood, as his word so says. And therein is where the benefit, then, of the forgiveness of sins is received. Uh, so that establishes, really, the, the loving practice of closed communion, because it is the, the love of Christ. It is out of Christ's love uh, that he speaks truth to us and teaches us truth. And so we, um, we um, receive that truth by faith, and we, we trust his word. And so that is, uh, that is really... Uh, where closed communion comes from. All right. So hopefully Cheryl, Cheryl got a, a, what she was looking for for an answer there. Um, that this is a, a, a closed communion is a, is a biblical thing and and so forth and 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 yeah. So let's uh, let's look at the last paragraph here in Article uh, 13, if we could. <clears throat> it is it is beyond words what abuses the fanatical opinion about outward works has produced in the church, without a good disposition on the part of the one using the sacraments. From it has come the endless profanation of the masses. We shall speak about this later. A single letter cannot be produced from the old writers that supports the scholastics in this matter. On the contrary, Augustine says that faith that uses the sacrament and not the sacrament justifies. And the declaration of Paul is well known. 
with the heart one believes and is justified. All right, Pastor Moss, if you want to just give us a few comments on this last paragraph as we're leading on out shortly. Well, ironically, the last caller was asking about a Presbyterian church offering what sounded like uh, nightly Lord's Supper as opposed to here the Catholics with the endless profanation of Masses, the the day-to-day sacrifice of the Mass in private settings where nobody but the priest would be communing. Uh, when you don't have the the proper understanding of the, the use of the sacrament, in this case the Lord's Supper, uh, the faith that trusts the promise of the forgiveness of sins attached to that bread and wine uh, where the Lord's body and blood are present, when you lose sight of that, endless abuses enter in. Um, and this, uh, the, the final comment he makes it from St. Augustine that uh, it's the faith that uses the sacrament. Uh, that's missing in, in uh, both sides or both uh, ends of the spectrum that Lutherans walk in the middle of, uh, Protestantism to one side and Roman Catholicism to the other. Uh, that neither is using it according to Christ's institution or for the purpose uh, with which he gave it. And so that is another reason uh, where we would distinguish our communion, our fellowship, from theirs. Uh, That's a a very good point, Uh, uh, Pastor Moss. It's a a very good point about that, uh, that uh, the Presbyterians as well as the Roman Catholics or the Papists uh, are, are kind of falling into those same kind of errors at times. Um, yeah, so Pastor Grevy, if you would, just to, for briefly, you have a, a moment to, to comment on this, if you would. Yes, uh, I think uh, the last paragraph brings things uh, nicely into focus when it continues to speak of justifying here. And that is uh, that while we do say that... Uh, Christ's death, uh, one-time death on the cross, atoned for the sin of the world. Um, the justification of the individual uh, comes uh, through faith. So the benefit, in other words, the benefit of Christ's justifying work on the cross uh, comes to us and is received by us through faith. Uh, so it is with the so it is with the sacraments. The sacraments are received by faith. So we can see a beautiful connection here. I think um, with uh, justification, as it always comes back to justification and how we are justified, um, and it's not by merely the use of the sacraments, um, but it's uh, by faith in what is given in the sacraments. Exactly. Thank you much. I want to thank both of the guests for being with us today. You've been listening to Concord Matters. Go to church, listen to God's Word, receive the sacraments, and believe God's Word about them. We'll talk to you next week.